What's up, everybody? JT Sports here, back at you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing Jesse Bates' murky contract situation with the Cincinnati Bengals and how good will the offenses of the New England Patriots and Pittsburgh Steelers be in 2022. If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media pages. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Back in March, the Cincinnati Bengals put the franchise tag on star free safety Jesse Bates. And with this, Jesse Bates, if he ends up signing the franchise tag and playing under the tag this season, he is due to make $12.91 million this season. However, according to reports leaked by his camp to USA Today, Bates doesn't plan on attending OTAs or training camp unless he is able to come to terms on a new deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. And there are a lot of ways that this can go. You have three scenarios. The first one being he could sit out this year. The second one being he ends up coming to terms on a new contract, staying with Cincy. And the third scenario being that he gets traded elsewhere before the start of the year. Let's talk about the first one. Will Jesse Bates sit out this year? I highly doubt it. I'm not going to rule it out, but I think most likely he will play this year because it doesn't really benefit him not to play because if he sits out, he's going to be losing money. He's going to have to pay fines on top of that. If he does end up becoming a free agent after the year, teams are going to look at him and be like, okay, you didn't play all the last year, so we don't know how in shape you are. It just doesn't really benefit him not to play, but I'm not going to rule it out. The second scenario, him and Cincinnati come into terms on a long-term deal. From what I've gathered, the yearly salary isn't really an issue He's probably going to get somewhere between $14.8 million a year and $16 million a year. When you look at the top five highest paid safeties and their yearly salaries, Jamal Adams comes in at number one. He's making $17.6 million a year. Harrison Smith is at number two with $6 million. Then you have Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, and Eddie Jackson. Jesse Bates is a top five safety in my opinion. So he probably should be getting either $16 million or more. And potentially, he could end up earning $18 million a year, depending on how negotiation talks go. However, I think that it's more realistic to see him earning between $15 and $16 million and being the second highest paid safety behind Jamal Adams. And the biggest hurdle in this Probably isn't the yearly pay, but it's the guaranteed money. Now, you have to know that Jesse Bates' agent is the same agent who represents Deshaun Watson. You remember Deshaun Watson broke the NFL record for most guaranteed money ever. He also represents Jalen Ramsey and Buda Baker as well. Both of those defensive bats got over $30 million in guaranteed money. In Cincinnati... This is an organization that 
doesn't really give out a lot of guaranteed money. You remember back in 2015, they gave AJ Green 26 million, and then DJ Reader and his deal got 20 million guaranteed. So this isn't a team that has been known for dishing out a lot of guaranteed money, and that's really where I think that the hurdle when it comes to getting this deal done is going to lie. Because for Jesse Bates, is he worth getting 25 mil to 30 million guaranteed? I think so. And for Cincinnati, they're going to have to change that philosophy of not giving out a lot of guaranteed money because Joe Burrow is going to demand a lot of guaranteed money and so is Jamar Chase and other star players who they have to re-sign in the next coming years. So if there was a better chance for Cincinnati to abandon their tradition of not dishing out a lot of guaranteed money, this probably would be the ideal time. However, is Jesse Bates the player that Cincinnati is willing to waive their their not willingness to give out so much guaranteed money, that's going to be really interesting. Because remember, his agent is really good at getting a lot of guaranteed money. So another thing is this. If him and Cincinnati don't come to terms on a long-term deal after the July 15th deadline, which is the last day that teams have to sign their franchise tag players to long-term deals, Will Cincinnati look at shopping Jesse Bates? Because even if he plays this year, if he doesn't end up coming back, you don't want to let him walk away for free. The Eagles have been a team that has been heavily linked to Jesse Bates, and they probably will be more than willing to give Jesse Bates anything that he wants. They probably could end up making him the highest paid safety in the league if they really feel like it. So for Jesse Bates, Philadelphia could be an option. There's a lot of teams out there who could need Jesse Bates services. Then, Cincy, you have a good enough amount of depth to replace Jesse Bates. You recently drafted Daxton Hill in this past year's NFL draft. He probably would be the ideal replacement to end up coming in and replace of Bates if he was to get traded or whatnot. Then you also got to remember, even though Cincinnati does have a good amount of cap space over the next couple of years, there are a lot of key players on this roster that they're going to have to make long-term deals for, such as T. Higgins. You also have Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader, Chidobia Wuzie, Jonah Williams, Logan Wilson. All of these guys are slated to be in the running for getting new contract extensions over the next year or so with the guys I just named getting them in 2024. That's when they are slated to be unrestricted free agents. In 2023, you really only have to worry about keeping Eli Apple and safety Von Bell, which Cincinnati probably would allow those guys to walk away. I think they just brought back Eli Apple on a one-year deal because first of all, he wasn't that bad. He had some good moments. He had some down moments as well, but he was pretty solid for the most part they're probably going to give him one more year while they allow some of the younger cornerbacks on the roster to develop and then they'll end up stepping into his place same thing with Von Bell if they end up re-signing Jesse Bates then Daxton Hill probably could end up filling out at that safety spot then you also have rookie safety who you drafted out of Toledo and Tyson Anderson who I like a lot but 
I expect a deal to get done with Jesse Bates. I think he's too good of a player for Cincinnati to not want to resign him. And there definitely is interest from both parties on trying to get a long-term deal done. Jesse Bates has already stated that he wants to remain in Cincinnati. It's just that with this contract situation, I really think it's going to come down to getting Cincinnati to waiver on the guaranteed money. This is an organization that doesn't really give out that much in guaranteed money. That's going to have to change. And it's going to change eventually. You just have to wonder if Jesse Bates is going to be that player to bring about that change. There are too many people who think that the reason why the negotiations are kind of at a standstill is because Cincinnati's not willing to open out the pocketbook. And that's not true because we've seen Cincinnati dish out so much money this past offseason on improving the offensive line. They spent a lot of money the past couple of years on improving the defense. This isn't an organization that's worried about being cheap. They've already proved that narrative wrong over the last couple of years. This really comes down to, are you going to be able to keep Jesse Bates and also be able to re-sign your star players as well? Because for Bengals fans, I'm about to tell you some truth and you guys aren't going to like it, but not everybody on this team is going to remain a Bengal for their whole entire career. You're going to have guys who are going to be willing to take less to stay on the team and help out others. And you're going to have guys who are simply just going to want to get theirs. Not everybody for the starting core on both sides of the football is going to remain the Bengal. So you have to wonder if Jesse Bates ends up being one of those key players who ends up having to walk out simply for the fact that Cincinnati isn't going to have the funds to be able to pay him and other players. That's another thing that you have to take into account. And then when it comes to him getting traded, what's going to be Jesse Bates' trade value? Because we've seen... When Jamar Adams got traded from the Seattle Seahawks, he ended up getting traded for a bunch of first-round selections. So for Cincy, you're probably going to be asking for a first-round pick. Are you going to get a first-round pick? Debatable. Cincinnati, if you do it with Philadelphia, they have a good amount of first-round selections, so you probably could get one out of them, but most likely you could be looking at second round compensation for Jesse Bates which Bengals fans probably wouldn't be okay with they probably would want a first round pick but it's kind of difficult to see if you could get one for Jesse Bates considering the fact that his current situation with his contract and whatnot but hopefully both sides are able to come to terms on a long-term deal I strongly doubt that Jesse Bates sits out I wouldn't be surprised but I'm 90% sure that he would play this year because it simply doesn't really benefit him not to play. You just lose money and it's not really worth it. If you just go ahead and you play and as long as you're able to stay healthy, you're probably going to end up, even if you don't get the contract with Cincinnati, you'll end up cashing out elsewhere. However, I understand the risk that comes with playing on the franchise tag because there has been several players throughout the years who've played on the franchise tag. And unfortunately, they went down with injuries and then it affected their contract negotiations. They end up having to get less. It just doesn't really end well sometimes. Hoping that doesn't happen is going to be a really 
intriguing to see if the Bengals and Jesse Bates can come to terms on a long-term extension before July 15th. But you guys let me know, do you guys think that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to sign Jesse Bates to a long-term extension? Or do you think that this may be the last season that we see Jesse Bates suit up in a Cincinnati uniform? I saw a report earlier today that came out saying that there are players in the New England Patriots organization who are concerned about their current offensive staff. With Josh McDaniels, the former offensive coordinator, taking the head coaching job with the Las Vegas Raiders, there still is a vacancy at their OC position. And we don't really know. And the rumored candidates haven't really been any to give you a lot of promise. It's been Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. They're somewhat going to have large roles in what the offense does this year. But honestly, and I don't mean to sound ignorant when I say this, but I don't really think it's going to matter that much who's calling the plays. And before you guys get on me down in the comment section, allow me to explain. I think that this offense really is going to come down to Figuring out what Mac Jones likes. I think that Mac Jones is going to be heavily involved in what New England does offensively this year because they're probably going to send him down. They're going to say, okay, Mac Jones, what are you most comfortable with? What routes, what scheme do you feel gives you the best chance to succeed? And what plays do you like? What concepts do you not like? He's probably going to tell them the plays he really is in love with and the ones that he would prefer New England throw in the trash. So they end up sitting at the table, they talk it out, and then going into the 2022 season, they start using more plays and concepts that Mac Jones likes to actually run. So with this whole entire offensive coordinator situation, honestly, I think that the success of the Patriots offense this year is going to be heavily dependent on Mac Jones and how far along he comes in his development. Because if you have an elite quarterback, a great quarterback makes the guy calling the plays look like a mastermind because he could turn a bad play call into a good play call. However, an average quarterback is only as good as the guy calling the plays behind the play sheet. So if Mac Jones ends up taking that next leap and becomes a elite quarterback, a top 10, even a top 12 QB this year, he's going to elevate whoever's calling the plays. However, if Mac Jones doesn't develop the way that Patriots fans hope, then the offensive coordinator position probably is going to cause a lot of concern. However, I trust Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is the GOAT for a reason. However, it's been a while since we've seen somebody else calling the plays other than Josh McDaniels. So I understand where the concern lies, but you have to trust Bill Belichick with these things. Also, the offense, I think, has a pretty good amount of talent. Although wide receiver probably is the weakest link that many people are going to harp on, it's not overly bad. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even consider this to be the worst wide receiving core in the league. You have Devontae Parker, who you acquired in a trade with your division for the Miami Dolphins. The thing with Devontae Parker is, can he stay healthy? When he's on the field, he's productive. However, he's not on the field all that often, which is why Miami was willing to ship him off to the Patriots inside their division. You also have Kendrick Bourne, 
who had 55 receptions for 800 receiving yards and five touchdowns. He had a pretty nice year. You got Jacoby Myers, who had 800 receiving yards, 83 receptions. The dude led the team in targets also with 126. He's a monster. And then you have rookie out of Baylor, Tyquan Thornton, who I really like a lot. He's going to be their elite speed or slash deep threat. The Patriots always love to have a wide receiver who has great speed. Then tight end, you have John New Smith and Hunter Henry. This is still one of the best tight end duos that we have in the league. Then at running back, Damian Harris, Rahamdre Stevenson, one of the better one-two punches in the NFL. Harris had 202 attempts last year for 929 rushing yards. 4.6 yards per carry and 15 touchdowns and yes I am looking at the number right he had 15 touchdowns last season I didn't even know he had 15 touchdowns last season and remember I had this man on my fantasy squad 15 touchdowns I couldn't remember him scoring 15 touchdowns maybe I have this wrong I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now it says 15 touchdowns unbelievable Rahandre Stevenson He's afraid also, 133 attempts last year for 606 rushing yards, 4.6 yards per carry. He had five touchdowns. You have rookie running back Pierre Strong. You have veteran James White, who is the pass catching back. And you also have J.J. Taylor, who's more of that change of pace back as well. So for New England, offensively, I think you have enough talent to be really good on the offensive side of the football. And if Mac Jones ends up taking that leap, to being a top 10 quarterback this year he's going to elevate this whole entire offense the wide receivers are going to be better the offensive line is already really good this is one of the best offensive lines in the league you have Isaiah Wynn at left tackle left guard Michael Anu who was one of the best offensive guards in the NFL last season according to pro football focus I know some of you guys don't really care that much about PFF but it is worth noting he was phenomenal last year you have rookie guard Cole Strange who you draft in the first round many people view it as a reach to me personally when it comes to drafting an offensive lineman it's really difficult when it comes to evaluation because many teams have different ways that they evaluate players and where they rank players on their draft board so if somebody reaches for an offensive guard I don't think that is all that bad because offensive guards getting taken late in the first round is pretty common and it's also a pretty safe position more times than not it's not a similar situation to when the Las Vegas Raiders a couple years back reached for Alex Leatherwood that was a huge reach you have somebody who struggled at offensive tackle and he struggled last season so it's not that bad of a reach and then I just got done watching the Brett Coleman video about Cole Strange. It has me even more excited about Cole Strange. And I think that Bill Belichick is really excited about what he can do because watching Brett Coleman's video, Cole Strange is going to be a really big part in terms of what the Patriots are going to be able to execute in the run game on offense and also how they're going to tailor this offense around the strengths of Mac Jones. So he's going to be a really big part of that. Then you have right tackle Trent Brown, who also is coming off a really productive year as well. So this is an offense that has a little bit more talent than what a lot of people are giving it credit for. And for Mac Jones, with him... 
there were some games where he took unnecessary sacks, just holding on to the ball too long. Going into year two, the game's going to slow down for him. He's going to know a lot more. He's going to be better when it comes to reading coverages, getting the ball out faster. He's going to have better pocket awareness. This offensive line, don't be surprised if it ends up being a top three, top five unit at the end of the 2022 NFL season. And offensively, if Mac Jones ends up reaching his peak and hitting that ceiling, I think that this potentially could be a top 10, top 11 offense because they're still, no matter how good Mac Jones is, they're still going to pound the rock a good amount of times with the two freight trains that they have at the running back position. If Damian Harris can take care of the football and not have any any fumbling issues. He could be in store for all pro season, in my opinion, because the dude is a tank. Every time he toasts the rock, he's running guys over. He's causing a lot of wreckage, a lot of carnage. Same thing with Rahondre Stevenson. As a matter of fact, these are my two favorite running backs to watch in the league when it comes to running back duels because they just cause a lot of damage and a lot of wreckage. They're old school throwback backs, and I love old school throwback backs. I like a running back that's going to put his foot in the dirt and he's going to plow through you. I don't have nothing wrong with the new finesse running backs, but I'm just a fan of old school smash mouth football. It's fun to me. A lot of people aren't fans of old school smash mouth football, but I am. I love seeing a lot of wreckage. I love running back that's able to get down to the linebackers and plow through you for extra yardage. But hey, that's just me. But overall, I personally am more optimistic about the Patriots offense than most people simply for the fact that I trust Bill Belichick. And too many people judge teams based off their roster talent you also have to take coaching into effect because last season there were many people who didn't expect the Patriots to make it to the postseason I had them in the po- I had them in the playoffs simply for the fact that they have Bill Belichick. Same thing when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers with Mike Tomlin. When you have a good coach, he's going to be able to put their team or your favorite team in the best situations to succeed. He's going to be able to make adjustments. If somebody has to end up being benched and replaced, that's going to happen. If changes have to be made schematically during the season, they're going to happen. That's why Bill Belichick is one of if not the greatest head coach of all time in football history. No matter if it's college football, NFL, he's one of the best head coaches ever to grace this game. You have to trust him. You have to believe in Bill Belichick. You have to believe in his philosophy. And for the players who don't believe in Bill Belichick, I mean, what's really the point of you being a New England Patriot? Because the Patriots always put a lot of emphasis on doing things the Patriots way. They put a lot of emphasis on doing your job. So for the players that's concerned, they shouldn't be. Because if they do their job, everything should work out. That's what Bill Belichick stresses the most. And I think the reason why Bill Belichick hasn't named his OC is simply for the fact that it's not really that important to him. Obviously, because if it was, he probably would have already been had a name. So I'm pretty sure that he has a strategy set in place for how he's going to manage this offensive coordinator situation. And if Joe Judge or Matt Patricia ends up being the OC or somebody else out of nowhere comes up and be and becomes the OC, I have faith in Bill Belichick's judgment. You got to trust Bill Belichick. It may be hard for a lot of you Patriots fans out there because a lot of people hate uncertainty. Nobody really likes surprises. And I understand that. I don't love surprises. Unless it's my birthday and you're giving me a gift. 
Everybody wants to know what you're walking into. However, with the Patriots, Bill Belichick is keeping this a uh, big secret for a reason. Joe Judge in his press conference, when they were asking him about what his role was, he didn't really give them a definitive answer. The media was a little upset about it, but they're playing this really close. They're keeping this in tight. I think that Bill Belichick has something up his sleeve, and maybe he doesn't want to name his offensive coordinator just yet because he doesn't want to give defensive coordinators the advantage of figuring out, okay, this is who they have calling the plays. Let me go back, watch a little bit of film about what his tendencies are so we can get a better game plan of what he likes to do offensively. He kind of wants to keep it unknown, and I think it's really exciting. If you're a Patriots fan, you don't know how this offense is going to look. You don't know if you're going to have a similar offensive scheme to last year or if you're just going to come out in something completely different. So, You got to trust in Bill Belichick. He's the greatest coach of all time for a reason. You got to trust his judgment. How good will the Pittsburgh Steelers offense be in 2022? Last year, Matt Canada's first season calling plays at OC in replace of Randy Fickner wasn't really all that impressed. This offense ranked 21st in points per game, 23rd in yards per game. They were 17th in third down conversion percentage. And they were one of the worst teams in the league when it came to yards per play, averaging a abysmal 4.8, which ranked them 28th in the league. So going into this season, year two, as a Steeler fan, why should you be optimistic? Well, finally, he's going to be able to run the offense that he wants to. Because last year with Big Ben at the helm at QB, he wasn't able to implement the kind of offense he wanted to implement because he had to build around Big Ben and where Big Ben was at that stage of his career. But normally, what Matt Canada likes to do on the offense side of football, we already know he implements a lot of motion. We saw Chase Claypool come in a lot of times on jet sweeps and whatnot. And we're probably going to see a lot more of those jet sweeps this year then we're going to see more design quarterback runs. Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky are both pretty mobile quarterbacks, even though Mitchell Trubisky, if he's the starter, he gives you an advantage in the run game department because he's more athletic than Kenny Pickett and he's a better runner than Kenny Pickett. Kenny Kenny Pickett, excuse me, I call him Picker. He's more of a quarterback who is able to pick up a little bit of yardage when you need him to. I know he had a big touchdown run, the fake slide, but at the NFL level, the speed of the game and how fast these linebackers are, I'm not expecting Kenny Pickett to have as many highlight real one runs as the ones that we saw back in college when he was playing for Pitt. However, when it comes to the RPO game, we're definitely going to see a lot of those reading linebackers trying to figure out either to throw the ball, keep it handing off to the running back. You probably are also going to see what Mitchell Trubisky in. You're going to see a lot of read option concepts. And the read option is something that the Steelers haven't really implemented in their offense in a very long time. You very seldomly saw it. I think it could be a pretty big staple of this offense if Trubisky ends up being the starting quarterback. On top of that, Is Pittsburgh going to be willing to take more chances down the field? Because I don't think Ben, Ben, Big Ben, his arm strength was the problem. As a lot of people try to make it out to be Big Ben just couldn't throw the football more than 20 yards, it was false. I've seen Big Ben throw 
plenty of deep balls that looked pretty good. The wide receivers just weren't able to come down with it. The problem with the deep passing game last season wasn't Big Ben's arm strength, in my opinion. It was simply the fact that he didn't have that much time to throw the football. As a matter of fact, the Steelers' offensive line probably only gave him two to three seconds to throw the ball, and most of the time, that's not enough to give you opportunities to throw the football downfield and push the ball vertically. So this year, with the offensive line, Bringing in James Daniels and new offensive line coach Pat Mayer, hopefully, and I do say hopefully, this offensive line plays way better than what they have over the last two seasons. And Pat Meyer is somebody who has had a pretty good amount of success in this league. He has been a coach for two decades, 20 years of coaching experience. And his offensive lines have been pretty solid, at least when he was the offensive line coach for three years with the Los Angeles Chargers from 2017 to 2019. You had a couple of pro bowlers. You had Pouncey at center. You had Okung, who I believe made it to -to back-to-back pro bowl appearances. Also, Phillip Rivers was pretty efficient. During these years, he didn't get sacked a lot. The running game with Melvin Gordon when he was at his prime or when he was at his top performance, he was also really good. He had a lot of success behind the Chargers offensive line during Pat Myers' run there as the old line coach. Carolina didn't have as much success there compared to how much success he had with the Chargers simply for the fact that over the last two years, the Panthers didn't have that much talent in that offensive line. And plus they battled injuries, but you did have Taylor Morton, who is probably one of the better off the tackles in this league. So that's one person who you, I guess can attribute his development to Pat Meyer. And this offensive line is really young. Left tackle Dan Moore was the first offensive tackle in what 60 years to start for Pittsburgh he was a fourth round pick in the 2021 NFL draft you have left guard Kevin Dotson who some people may look at last year as a disappointment you have Mason Cole who is slated to be the starting center at least that's what people expect but maybe Kendrick Green ends up developing compared to where he was last year he struggled as a rookie But he is somebody who I think would be better suited at guard. And if James Daniels struggles, which I doubt will happen because he was the Chicago Bears' best offensive lineman, or Kevin Dotson struggles, then we're most likely going to see Kendrick Green inserted into one of those spots. But most likely, Kendrick Green is probably going to end up pushing Kevin Dotson for that starting left guard spot. We could see competition there. Then at right tackle, you have Chuck Sakorafor. Praying that right tackle ends up being his proper position for him. I just don't really know what you're going to get when it comes to the two offensive tackle spots. Because Dan Moore, he was a rookie last year. Every rookie has their ups and downs when it comes to the offensive tackle spot. You remember Penny Sewell, he had a couple of games where he kind of struggled, but Overall, for this offensive line, man, you just kind of have to trust in the process. You have to trust in Pat Meyer. But this offense, most definitely, regardless of the offensive line play, should definitely improve compared to where it was last season because the wide receiver room is as talented as it has been in years. This is probably one of the most talented wide receiver groups that the Steelers have had in years. I mean, they're loaded. Deontay Johnson coming off his 
first Pro Bowl caliber season, 1,161 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, 107 receptions. He was targeted 169 times. Chase Claypool was underutilized because Pittsburgh simply couldn't find ways to get him the ball downfield because the offensive line didn't give them time to attack the field vertically. You have George Pickens, rookie out of Georgia, who they drafted in the second round, my favorite pick of the draft. I know you guys saw the video when he went viral with the mask and the way he was standing. I just had to meme it. Then you have Calvin Austin, rookie out of Memphis. He's probably going to be the slot receiver. He'll most likely be the receiver that's probably going to be coming around on the jet sweeps and coming around in motion. Then you have Miles Boykin, who formerly spent time with the Baltimore Ravens, more of a death piece. And you have Anthony Miller, who has spent time with the Chicago Bears. Tatton Pat Fryermuth is expected to have a breakout season. He caught 60 receptions for 497 receiving yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie. He had the second best rookie season out of all tight ends last year behind Kyle Pitts. So this is a really talented skill position group that the Steelers possess. I'm really excited about these wide receivers. And you remember when the Steelers had Martavis Bryant, I think that George Pickens could be what Martavis Bryant was, but better. Because Martavis Bryant couldn't stay on the field. He kind of dealt with off-the-field issues. But think about what he could have been. George Pickens is bigger, stronger, and faster, in my opinion, than Martavis Bryant. And if you put George Pickens in the slot, oh my goodness, I don't really think there's too many slot cornerbacks that are going to be able to slow down George Pickens. You look at his size, his length, and his athleticism, and most of the time, slot cornerbacks are really on the short end. They're either 5'10 or shorter, so that's a big matchup nightmare to have to worry about if you are the opposing team's defensive coordinator. At running back, you have Najee Harris. He had the best rookie season out of all rookie running backs last year. Don't see no reason why he shouldn't continue to pick up from where he left off last year. Not only was he really good on the ground for Pittsburgh, despite the offensive line not being great, but he also carried the passing game for the Steelers at times. There were moments where Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris were the only two weapons that Pittsburgh had on offense. So overall... I'm not expecting this offense to go from where it was last season and automatically just become a top 10 unit. I am hoping that this offense ends up being top 16, top 17. And some people may not look at that as drastic improvement. But I mean, improvement is improvement. Because you look at where this offense was last season. Oh my goodness. It was just abysmal to watch. The best weapon that the Steelers had at times on offense that was putting points on the board wasn't Najee or Deontay Johnson. You know who it was? It was kicker Chris Boswell. Chris Boswell was one of the Steelers' best weapons on offense last year. It's crazy. Anytime your kicker can be considered to be one of your team's best weapons, that's a problem. So for Pittsburgh... 
I'm hoping that this offense becomes more efficient when it comes to switching things up. You have to be able to attack the defense vertically downfield. You simply cannot just build your offense around screens and quick slants. You have to keep the defense honest. And too many times last year, how did we see, how many times did we see defenses not respecting Pittsburgh's ability to push the ball downfield? Too many times. And I don't think it was because they didn't think Big Ben had the arm. It was probably because they knew that he wasn't going to have the time to throw the ball downfield. So this offensive line, I think, is going to play a major role in determining just how good this Pittsburgh Steelers offense can be this year. Because if this is the same offensive line that we saw last year, then this offense isn't going to improve at all. As a matter of fact, it's a good potential that it could end up being worse. Then... Is Matt Canada going to improve as a play caller? Because even if the offensive line improves and even if the weapons around him are really good, the play calling was atrocious in certain games. I remember it was fourth and one. I forgot what team it was. But instead of handing the football off to Najee Harris up the gut, they decide to call halfback toss. And guess what happened? He got swallowed up for no game and it was turnover on downs. That made no sense. You know you don't have a good offensive line, so instead of just trying to run the football up the middle, you opt to call a halfback toss outside? Come on, man. There were just certain moments where you look at Matt Canada, and you're just like, doggone it. I mean, do we have anybody else who can call the plays? I mean, we might as well have just let Big Ben be the offensive coordinator. He could have did a better job last season. So for Matt Canada, there are the jury's still out on Matt Canada. And LSU fans, I was talking to a couple of them. I asked them when we first hired Matt Canada and promoted him from QB coach to OC. I asked them, I said, is Matt Canada a good play caller? They said no. And I thought they were just hating on the dude. Well, it looks like they've proven themselves right at the moment. And maybe it's because Matt Canada didn't have the pieces in place. He wasn't able to run the offense that he wanted to because he had the do the best of his ability to build an offense around Big Ben. Hopefully, with Kenny Pickett and Trubisky at the helm, those being quarterbacks who fit his system pretty well, hopefully his play calling improves, and most likely the offense should improve if that happens. However, I'm not expecting a big overhaul when it comes to the offensive production this season. I'm not expecting the top 10 or top 5 offense. This isn't going to be the prime years when we had A.B. and Juju Smith-Schuster and Big Ben was in his prime with Le'Veon in the backfield. This isn't going to be that kind of year. Maybe next year with more improvement on the offensive line, but hopefully this is a offense that does take some small steps in the right direction. And small steps of improvement are better than no steps of improvement. It's all about getting better, baby. 1% every day. You got to wake up 1% better than what you were the day before. So you guys let me know how you guys feel the Pittsburgh Steelers offense will perform this year. Make sure that you guys like the video, subscribe to the channel for more NFL videos and college football videos. And I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that the JT Sports Podcast is available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. I will see you guys with another episode shortly.